Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean for Thursday. First with yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Wednesday and uh, getting compensation for being put in solitary confinement that you asked to be put in. Uh, Aiden Smith tries to decipher all that shortly. Uh, Texting and driving. Uh, I think we're all agreed. Shouldn't do it. Uh, Why is this more... Why are there more talking points around this? Space ads and the history of temp and bowling in New Zealand. But before any of that, uh, the Clear Curran saga is really a saga now. Further fogging things on this open and digital communications front is how Handley got access to the minister's mobile phone number and how he got instructions on how to get into the beehive after hours for that now career-ending secret meeting, the second secret meeting the Minister for Open Government had conducted. Claire Curran is now apparently archiving all her Gmail messages related to ministerial matters, and these will in time, of course, be discoverable under the Official Information Act. But, and here's the big but, it is likely, she says, that some emails may be redacted to protect Handley's privacy if they don't relate to the job application itself. So here's the worry. Does the government redact email contents the same way it provides transcripts to bloggers? In other words, by editing it as it suits them. The fact they've flagged already that emails may be redacted should tell us all we need to know. That the process of open government by the former Minister for Open Government regards digital communications by the former Minister for Digital Services has been anything but digitally competent or indeed even remotely. So that's the the dictionary definition of irony there. Uh, So really, can we create a new portfolio for Claire Curran, the Minister of Irony, and put her in charge of that? Because that seems to really be the only thing she's on top of. Right now, uh, now the, the the there was a prisoner who uh, he asked to be put in solitary confinement, but it was too long. According to the rules, even though he asked for it, and so then he got compensation. Layton Smith's a bit confused, so am I. I asked for it, and the judge obliged him to try and help him. And you and I end up paying this this murderer, this drug addict. $10,000 because the UN says you can only hold him in solitary for 15 days. The judge using, and this is what um, this is what's appropriate, the judge using his nas obliges the request for him to be held by the prisoner to be held for 21 days to help him kick his drug habit. The government is still considering an outstanding question of remedies, including compensation after the UN uh, Human Rights Commission, uh, Committee on April, in April this year found two preventive detainees had been arbitrarily detained for over a decade each. That, uh, that's irrelevant to this, uh, to this story. It's just a, um, an attachment. Now I ask you, which part of me is inhuman when I say this is just madness this is a prime example of um, a liberal approach to things and an example of liberal, uh, liberalism being a mental disorder. It's just nuts. A murderer, convicted murderer, given life because we don't do the death penalty anymore.
We don't do it because it's inhumane. So we give them a life sentence. And then they get out in 10 years. None of this, none of this makes any rational sense. None of it. And our dealings with the UN should be ceased forthwith. $10,000 to this jerk. Hard one, I suppose, because, I mean, he, he could have also asked to be put down and, um, you know, I'm assuming the judge wouldn't have gone along with that. So yeah, the judge probably did need to sort of have another look at what he was agreeing to. But, yeah, it's a weird... There's certainly been a few times where I would have been happy to go into solitary confinement rather than deal with what's going on around me, that's for sure. Uh, what's the punishment for texting and driving? I don't think it's solitary confinement, but maybe it should be. Here's the thing. Okay, texting and driving. Elliot Jessup, his mum died seven years ago when she was uh, texting and driving. In fact, she sent 19 messages in 45 minutes just before the head-on crash that killed her, just north of Tiro. Now, Elliot Jessup says he's on a mission. He wants to stop it. And he believes that the um, the penalties that we have is ridiculous. $80 if you're caught and 20 demerit points. For those people who don't know, uh, each time you get a demerit point, you can have up to 100 demerit points in two years. Once you hit the 100, well, then there's an automatic three-month suspension of your license. Okay? He says this is pathetic. Um, comparisons, Australia 400, uh, Canada $490. So he says up it immediately. The Acting Associate Transport Minister James Shaw has ordered officials to look into the effectiveness of harsher penalties for distracted drivers. Why don't you just do it, James? Really? You need your officials to say, I'm not sure if this penalty is going to do anything. Well, really? Last year, the Ministry of Transport said it had no plans to increase the penalties. What? Really? I think probably... People who text and drive, they should have their phones and their cars taken off them on the spot. Uh, I am a little bit worried about the whole loose term of driver distraction because if that means that I am now not allowed to eat my secret service station pie uh, on my drive home, that's a cause for concern. I mean, it's probably a good idea, but, but it's a cause for concern. Um, NASA are looking at advertising in space, apparently. Good idea, bad idea. What do you think? Well, from a marketer's perspective, so if you're a big brand, I think this is potentially a fantastic idea because, you know, space is then no longer the final frontier. Um, we can actually go into space with our advertising. So from a marketer's perspective, I think it's potentially a great thing. There's potential downsides, you know, if, if there's an incident, uh, that may not be so good. But I think uh, from a marketer's perspective, it's a potentially very positive thing. Would a downside be the fact that NASA is a government agency, anything in that? Is that a problem? I think there's a little bit of that, but I think, you know, in advertising, it's all about, you know, having unique angles and providing something novel. And I think that's interesting. One of the potential downsides, I think, is that obviously um, the, the heydays of many, many millions of people watching rocket launches are well, well and truly gone. So I'm not sure how many eyeballs they're really going to catch, but that obviously has to be reflected in how much money NASA is asking for. Right. Maybe having uh, astronauts endorse the product, that might be better than having a big low on a sp uh, logo on a spacecraft because really there's only blast off and returning to Earth, isn't there? Yeah, there is. But I guess there are numerous um, there are numerous shops from within the capsule, so they could be technically um, advertising within the capsule. Um, astronauts, I'm not sure how um, 
you know, technically you could say, look, this is celebrity advertising, but I'm just not sure how well known the astronauts are. And so mm. I think the mere association of having NASA as an advertising vehicle or, or assets of NASA, including the astronauts, I think that's the exciting opportunity. I'm not sure how much celebrity status the astronauts have these days. No, I, I can't even remember the name of the guy who sang the, you know, played the guitar and sang Major Tom. Uh, and we've interviewed him on this station. Um, and I, yeah. I, I guess there were those three blokes who went to the moon initially. We know their names. And even then, we know the first two, and then we struggle to remember Michael's, Michael Collins' name. There, yeah, got it. But, um, so, yeah. Interesting point Bodo Lang makes there. We're just going to finish off quickly uh, talking about 10-pin bowling. I don't know why, but it sounds fun. I was curious to know how long 10-pin bowling's been in New Zealand. Has that been here since the 50s? I thought someone, I wouldn't mind answering that sometime throughout the course of the show. When was the first 10-pin bowling in New Zealand? Someone might know the answer. I'd be curious to know about that. We've never discussed that. It's something we all do about once a year, isn't it? You think, gee, my arm's sore. It stretches those tendons. And sometimes you have good sessions at 10-pin bowling and sometimes you have bad sessions. And the bad sessions are because you can never quite find the right ball that's the right weight or the white spacing of the finger holds. Yeah, he's, he's not wrong. Um, and it, it's, it's, I, I've experienced extreme frustration when it goes badly. And I think it's because it's one of those things that seems so simple. How could it go so wrong? I mean, you're just having a big heavy thing down at those other 10 light things. Why can't they all just fall over? How hard is it? But it's very hard. Some days it's not. Some days it's... You're in the zone, and then the other days, virtually impossible. Mini golf's a bit like that too, isn't it? I am Glenn ZB. Podcasting can be like that sometimes as well. Sometimes it comes so easy. Other days, you're looking for a clever punchline to end the podcast on, and it's just... See you tomorrow.